yeah, the idea if we're supposed to love God, love people, and these are the people who are bringing the gospel here and are helping the gospel go forward, that's really our our main priority is our, you know, we're citizens of heaven. And so that's what it's about, like, right? So if we're Christians, we're to love God, love people. So I should be loving God, loving people. And the people who are here to help me do that happen to be white people. Welcome to Listener. I'm your host, Sam Holland. Today's episode is part one of two of Love God, Love People, featuring Tabitha Morales. Tabitha recently joined Crew's Oneness and Diversity team. Is there someone you'd like to hear featured on Listener? Email me at samanthaholland at crew.org. Enjoy the show. Where did you grow up? And tell us a little bit what your childhood was like. Sure. Um, so I grew up in the Bronx of New York City, um, born and raised, and it's kind of, uh, yeah, one of those things I'm super proud of. I love being from the Bronx. So many Puerto Ricans everywhere and Puerto Rican in heritage. Um, both my parents Puerto Rican, and they're the only ones of all their siblings born in New York. So my mom is one of eight, and my dad is one of 10. So I had a large family. So growing up, even my church, uh, it was a small Caribbean church, and I grew up going to church every Sunday, but both my parents found their faith at a young age, and so they were really excited about their faith um, when they got married and then started having children. And so I'm the middle of three children. I have an older brother and a younger sister, and later on in life, we adopted a uh, kind of just really my mom started to disciple a woman who my dad worked with and came to Christ. And so she's kind of part of our family. Um, and she's from Guyana. And yeah, she's just kind of been adopted in, not like actually adopted in, but mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Grafted uh, in. Exactly. Uh, growing up, um, I don't know, we, we did live in a two-bedroom apartment for a long time. And so when my parents were able to save up for a house, that was a huge deal. And so when I tell people that my parents own a private home with a front yard, backyard, driveway, and like side entrance, and it's unattached and separated, and it's in the Bronx, people think that's kind of crazy. <laughs> like, what? That, that <laughs> happens? Yes. Yes, it happens. I did grow up in a building, but then we moved uh, when I was about 12 years old. And so I actually had epilepsy as a child, and that that really did impact a lot of how I viewed life and things. Um, my younger sister also was born with a hearing deficiency and a cleft palate, and so that also mm. impacted our culture in the home. How did that impact your culture in the home? Yeah, so for example, one of the things we were doing when I was born, when she was born, I was about five years old. And one thing we were doing already was speaking both Spanish and English at home. Um, But when she was born with a cleft palate and a hole in her ear and would probably be deaf by the age of 30, her uh, doctor recommended we stick to one language. And since we were stateside um, in the mainland, my parents decided to use English so that we would excel in school and things like that. And so, Mm. yeah, so we stuck with English and that is why my Spanish is that of a (laughs) five-year-old. Like it just is, it's very elementary. Um, And that, that changed a lot, how we just interact very, a lot more doctor's visits. Um, Medicine was a very regular thing in our household, whether for me or for her. 
And uh, yeah, I think just how we interacted with our, our neighbors and friends. We didn't do too many sleepovers um, because of my epilepsy. We didn't know what would happen if I had a seizure away from home. So things like that did affect a lot of how I interacted um, with those in my community. My church community became my extended family. So uh, a lot of the members of that church were already, like I said, I have like 16 aunts and uncles. And so they were already, most of my family was that church, my cousins. And so in that case, we were able to trust and be safe in those areas, even if it came to medical stuff. Um, But just my community, I wasn't really playing ball in the streets or, you know, interacting with kids in the neighborhood because of my sickness, my younger sister's sickness. Um, But at the Mm. age of 10, I was miraculously healed. I haven't had a seizure since I was 10 years old. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I know. It's not a thing where people get healed from epilepsy. Um, So my doctor's like... Can you tell us that story? Oh, oh, it was, it was just kind of crazy. I remember taking, you know, those medicine boxes you see like grandma and grandpa have like seven days a week and each day which medicine to take there were like four pills in each day for me and I remember taking four to eight it depended and I would slowly the doctor was weaning me down eight six four um I remember elementary school feeling very like dazed out and kind of zombie like uh but doing the best I can and yeah uh, my dad says I didn't really smile before and all he did, all he wanted was for his daughter to smile or laugh, right? So it was his first daughter and getting me to giggle or smile was really hard um, just because I guess I was like zombie-like, but interacted fairly normally, just not very emotive. And uh, so, yeah, I remember the day that he prayed that the Lord would heal me and the church pastors and everyone prayed over me and anointed me and just praying that the Lord would do something that they could not possibly imagine. And uh, within that next year, I was like healed. Like the doctor just take took scans and stuff, regular CT, and was like, "When is their last seizure?" Um, well, it hasn't happened for several months. And my mom's like, "Actually, I think it hasn't happened for a year." David telling my father, my dad's like, "Oh, yeah, maybe not a year." Wow, that's been a while. What? And so the doctor's like, I don't think she is epileptic, and this is weird, but don't tell anyone she ever had it because they won't believe that she was healed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, uh, that's God. Your church will believe it. I know. So the church, oh, yeah. And the first time I smiled after that, I remember that was the first time I saw my dad cry. He was just in church giving testimony to what oh. God had done, and he was just crying. And, yeah, I was thought, wow, dad's crying? I didn't know dad cried, like. That's so different, you know, Um, but that was huge for my family. Uh, Big, I think, faith encouragement, definitely for Mm -hmm. me at that point. Like I knew something was different. I knew that I saw, I felt like Hmm. I was waking up and actually seeing the world as opposed to daydreaming through life. Mm. And I just remember thinking... Yeah, so God is totally real. I know that. Um, So that really was where God initially intersected your life is through this miraculous healing of your epilepsy because of the prayers of Mm -hmm. your church family. And then a year later, coming to faith in Christ and getting baptized with that same church family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's an amazing story. Yeah, I I love it. It's so that's where I grew up. That's 
that's where my foundation was set. I think that's where the Lord, he met me there and he started building a nice solid foundation. Uh, even in Sunday school, it, it wouldn't be a Sunday school that the teacher told you God loved you. The teacher would more so say, do you believe God loves you? Yes. Okay. Where does it say that in the Bible? And would ask you as a child, mm-hmm. like, tell me, how do you believe that? Why do we just because a song says so? And so from a young age, hmm. we were taught to really value the scriptures. Uh Okay, I can't just say God loves me. Okay, good to know. (laughs) So yeah, that was my foundation. Tell us about what happened in college and maybe if there was some intersection then with crew at that point. Sure. So can I backtrack a second to high school? It'll lead into that. Yes. Okay, so Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, like I said, I was born and raised in the Bronx and I went to high school in Manhattan. My dad worked for the MTA, uh, which is the Metropolitan Transportation Authority. He sold Metro cards. My mom worked in an elementary school, junior high school, different years as a secretary. And, um, and so this was my first time on my own taking a train into New York City on a regular basis. And my sophomore year was uh, September 11, 2001. And so that was a fairly, obviously, significant time in anyone's life. <laughs> Can you take us... I mean, what was that? What was that like? Drop us into that day. Yeah, so that experience on September 11th. Uh, what everybody says about it, it was a beautiful Tuesday morning. Is 100% true. Sunny, just gorgeous, not too hot. Like walking to school from the train station, everything was normal. I passed by the typical like cafecito man selling his coffee and bagels. Passed by the newspaper stand. Um, same old, same old, just two block walk from the station to the to my school. Um, checked in at the security desk, went up the stairs. Uh, we had three schools within our one building um, sharing the premises. And uh, it was Midtown Manhattan, 68th Street, Hunter College. And uh, Hunter College now owns the building. And so across the street was a blood bank. And so from our building, I was on the fifth floor when the first tower hit because I was in, uh, just left homeroom and went to math class. And my poor teacher, she was just fresh out of college, like young teacher starting her life, you know? And Mm. so that was actually kind of sad, uh, because I know that she was really anxious and didn't know what to do. I saw it in her face, heard it in her voice. Uh, and her, your school year, and your school day had just started. So she was that brand new. Yes. So it was okay. her fir- it was her second yep. year because I remember knowing this teacher from before. Um, so it was her second year teaching, but she was fairly young, maybe 25, uh, maybe. And um, not from New York City at all. Uh, she was there to get her education paid for, honestly, working in like an inner city school. And, you know, she'd get uh, props for that. And so... Uh, Yeah, she was young and alone, and I can see the fear in her eyes when a parent came in to pick up her child, and she was supposed to keep it a secret from us, but she was just too, it was too clear. We knew what was happening, and we knew something was happening, and so when we looked out the window, we kept pushing her, tell us what's going on, tell us what's going on. She wouldn't tell us. My friend was getting picked up by her mom and came over to us and said, we're at war and we're under attack you guys have to like save yourselves. My mom's getting me. And I was like, wait, what? And so this girl says that and leaves. We all run to the window to see like what, I don't know, maybe we could see what's happening through the window. 
And we get into the, we look out the window, we see the street is full of people. Now this is Midtown Manhattan. The workday has already started. There would not be this many people even probably on a holiday in this section of Manhattan. And so we knew something terrible had happened. There were way too many people and we flooded the halls. No student then listened at all to any teacher. We were all everywhere trying to figure out what's going on and trying to learn from each other. And not, none of us also had cell phones. Like I think one person had cell phone. He was an actor in a TV show. And so he had some money. Um, so he let me call my dad with his cell phone. And I called my house, left a voicemail on the answering machine and just waited. We were not going to let be let go, let out of school until five o'clock, I believe. They were going to give us dinner and then they had to let us go. They weren't allowed to keep us past five um, unless a parent came with our like with records proving that they were our parent because they just didn't know what was going on. What kind of attack is this? What do we need to fear? You know, who is in the city? Will it happen elsewhere? Things like that. So, yeah, it was scary. I remember like huddling with my friends, trying to like, I remember we got to talk to one friend somehow who said that she was in, um, oh, there was a payphone in the school and we used the payphone to call, to just call different people. And she knew the number for the payphone. She called us and was like, I'm okay. I'm by the towers. My grandma was in there. I got to get her. And we're like, what? No, come home, come back to school. We're safe. And so, I mean, they both survived and they're okay. But yeah, it was definitely a scary day. Towards the end of the day, my dad, um, the, all the subway systems, everything was shut down. So dad went home, heard the message immediately without even changing his clothes, uh, drove to the top of Manhattan, walked over the bridge and then walked down. Now, if you know Manhattan, the numbers get pretty high, right? 125th Street is Harlem. It goes all the way up to 180th, right? It keeps going. And so he walked down from there, 180 something in the Bronx, uh, down to 68th Street so that he could pick me up. There are no cabs. There is nothing, nothing. And so he just walked it. And uh, I remember dad, like when I, the school was, we were let out and I start walking down the stairs, open the door. And the first person I see is my dad. Like he was getting ready to come up the stairs. Like, what are you doing here? He's like, I had to come get you. Like they wouldn't let you out. So I came and I'm like, how did you get here? He's like, we're going to walk uptown now. And I'm like, we're walking to the Bronx. He's like, yes, we are. And so he, he hugged me and kissed me and with tears in his eyes again, not crying, but pretty close. And I'm like, what's happening? And so, uh, yeah, he was like, I think we're under attack, but we are going to be safe. We are going to go home and everything's going to be OK. We just got to get off this island as in Manhattan. So we start walking uptown. Uh, by the time we hit 125th Street, the train started working express only out of the city, only out of Manhattan. And so we hopped the 6th um, at 125th and took it as express to, uh, it stopped at Hunts Point, which is where my grandmother lived, and then one stop up um, all the way to the top of the Bronx, which would be the last stop on the 6th train. And that, that happened to be our stop, so it worked out. Um, yeah, so we got out there and uh, I remember walking into our driveway at this point. They had a house and we're walking uh, into the driveway and seeing my brother in his uniform and thinking like, what's happening? Uh, and my dad was like, you have to say bye to your brother now. 
um, he's, he's got to go. And I'm like, well, where's he going? Like, he can't go anywhere. Like, he doesn't know anything. He can't fight. Like, he just, he just joined the National Guard, like, a couple of months ago. And they're like, he has to go. And um, so I remember our family, like, very teary-eyed, my mom crying just hysterically, not knowing what was going to happen with him, but that he had to report. And so I said bye to my brother. And it wasn't until uh, weeks later that we, like, heard back and got to talk to him. He was in Manhattan. He was at Ground Zero. He wasn't far, uh, but we just didn't know what was happening. And uh, so that was, I think that was the day that I feel like I actually lost my brother. He's been uh, very different since that day. It's affected his, uh, just his interactions with people, his ability to trust, uh, to see good in the world. And so that was a really hard um, day, I think, for a lot of us, specifically, especially for him. And my brother's not walking with the Lord right now and just praying that the Lord will uh, transform his life as his name is Emmanuel. Um. <laughs> like, so, yeah, that was that day. And so I think what that did for me within the next two years, I, it put me in a very serious state where typically a 16, 17-year-old is ready to party and excited for college and drinking and all these things, um, flashing lights could potentially promote a seizure is what doctors told me. So I always try to avoid clubs. <laughs> that was never something I was like, oh, I don't want to have a seizure. That'd be weird. Uh, but then especially just the seriousness, the serious nature of what I experienced at 15 just set me on a fairly more serious way of approaching life. Um, school was to be cherished and something that is not accessible for everyone everywhere and something that people have fought, fought for so that me as a woman can go and attend and as a minority can attend. And so I'm going to give it my best and give my all. And so, yeah, I went specifically to Kane University in New Jersey to study deaf education because my sister was still losing her hearing. And I thought, well, if she goes deaf, who's going to communicate with her? Mm -hmm. Somebody's got to talk to her. So study deaf education there. And my freshman year, my mom was like, you know, uh, you found your job. You're dorming on campus and you're in your classes, but you need to find a Christian group. And my dad's my dad only knew about InterVarsity. He knew there was something else, but he couldn't remember the name of it. He's like, try to find university or something. There's got to be something there. And so we go about looking. Um, God had blessed me even that I had a single room and at the same price that I would uh, with roommates. And so at the school's fault, so I didn't have to pay anything. It was great. And I thought, okay, I guess I need to find fellowship. You know, I really am alone. I felt very alone in a whole nother state. Jersey just felt so different mm. from New York to me. It was mm -hmm. so weird. And um, my, yeah, my first time walking through the student center, because I was pretty introverted. I, I still am. I was kind of scared of interacting with too many people and just felt like college students were so immature and I didn't really have time for that. It was very cocky, very prideful. But um, I walked through the student center finally. I got enough courage and I saw a sign, a table with a sign. And some people gathered around and lots of people walking through the center that said, uh, all I saw was campus, crusade and Christ, or I saw crusade in Christ. And I remember, so earlier that day, someone had teased me for being a Christian at my job. Uh, publicly in front of other people like 
that's so stupid. And there were about seven people there and I just felt really small. I was, I was very embarrassed. I didn't know how to defend my faith. I walked into the women's room and I called my mom like, I don't know how to be a Christian here. Jersey's so mean. And, uh, and she's like, okay, uh, Tabitha, you remember greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And it was the first time while I knew the scripture, I didn't know the scripture. And I said, what does that mean? Like, what does that do for me right here, right now? Mm -hmm. Is people making fun of me? Like, what do I do with that? And she said, it's just the case. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You don't, that does not matter. You go with who the Lord is and what he's, who he's made you to be. And I'm like, I still don't know what's happening. So when I saw the sign, Campus Crusade for Christ, and I didn't see all the words, I thought, oh my goodness, they even have a group on campus that specifically is against Christians. Are you kidding me? This is insane. Like, I thought it said crusade against Christ. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this. So I I kept trying to see the words, and I was, like, moving around people, you know, bopping my head back and forth. And there was a woman on the other side of the table bobbing her her head back and forth. She sees me, and I see her, and I just kind of stop, and she stops. And she's like, hey, how are you doing? And I'm like, well, you're too friendly to be a Christian hater, right? Like, and so I was like, what is this group about? Oh, four. As I got closer, Mm. I saw it said four. I said, oh, are you guys Christian? (laughs) She's like, well, yeah, what did you think we were? I was like, "Mm, you don't want to (laughs) know. And so she's like, well, would you like to know more? And so we got to talking and I was actually pretty sassy to her. (laughs) She was the first white woman I like directly interacted with. And Mm. she had asked me questions like, oh, are you a Christian? Like, what do you know? And I was like, what do you know? Like, how do you know it? You don't know. Like, uh, you know. (laughs) Wow. God, God had to humble me. (laughs) But she was so bold. She was super sassy right back. Like, well, if you know so much, why don't you share with me what you know? And I was like, uh, got a little nervous and uh, she did great. She took me out first time for coffee about a week later, follow up with me, called me. Hey, I'd love to take you for coffee. I thought I don't barely know this white woman and she's willing to treat me to coffee. Wow, that's huge. To me, that was just that was huge. She was willing to purchase something for me and she knows my love language is coffee. Like this is great. So we went and we start talking about really what is the gospel. Um, she explained it to me after having asked me to explain it, and I did a fairly poor job. Uh, she was just kind of was like, yeah, and, and she kind of filled in some of the holes. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I know all this. And mm. I just kind of kept shrugging her off, like, I know all this. I know all this. She goes, well, if you know it, why don't we just go share it? I was like, wait, what do you mean? Like now? She's like, yeah, let's go. The first like, time you are met. Are you serious? The first time we met. So I got scared. She said, it's okay. You can watch me do it. And because she was like, I got to drop you off at campus anyway. You just watch me do it and then you can do it. And I was like, (laughs) okay. Uh And so she goes to drop me off at campus. I think this lady just bought me coffee. I have to do it. Like, I can't not do it. (laughs) So she does it and I just watch her and I think, this guy's going to punch her at the end of the conversation. Like, it's going to be bad. I'm going to have to protect this lady. Like, she's just, I, I go to school here. She's ruining my rep. You know, all these bad things in my head. And um, he didn't. He was like, I'm so sorry I had to leave the conversation early, but uh, I, this was really interesting. Thanks for talking with me. And I was like, what? <laughs> Who t- what? Uh-huh. What? I mean, he did pray to receive Christ, but he wasn't angry. Yeah, yeah. I was, like, right. very confused by that. <laughs> 
and um, so she didn't she didn't actually force me to share at that point. She said, next time, since, you know, I know you're a little nervous, so I'll give later. you time to review this little booklet. Yeah. So there was definitely the next time we met. Uh, but she gave me a little booklet. Obviously, the KGP, now that I know it was a Knowing God Personally booklet, I was able to take that with me and uh, just kind of learn it and study it and figure it out. And like, oh, yeah, I do. I do believe all these things. OK, yeah, if this is what they believe, then I'm for it. And I uh, had kind of gone back and forth with crew and IV, getting to know them a little bit. But uh, Jen was willing to invest in me and Jen spent time with me and she would call me on a regular basis. And uh, she she actually asked me to help start the movement there. So what I didn't know is that it was sort of on the brink of like not really existing because the former president was apparently also in the military and uh, like we hadn't heard from him or something. Mm. And so... There was one senior female, and she even was like, I need help. Please help me. And so I thought, okay, I don't know what to do, but sure. So very quickly, I was involved in, like, president. I'm like, what, is this? what does this mean? And um, so I didn't know, but I was their key contact. And uh, she just, she, I thought everyone knew the life of a leader, the roles, the responsibilities. I thought that's just kind of how crew works. But apparently she was just grooming me to be a leader on <laughs> campus. And yeah, we went through life concepts. We went through anything and everything you could think of. Um, yeah. And I was like, okay, role, relationship with God, self, others. Got it. Like learning what these things mean, learning how to interact and love people well, learning how to share my faith on campus and uh, multiply. So it was it was exciting. It was scary, but it was just kind of part of my crew life. And when I realized that while I understood these things conceptually, I didn't actually believe that the Holy Spirit was guiding me. Sure. Or I didn't I didn't listen to him. I didn't understand the Holy Spirit at all. Yes. Um so she explained him to me and that was a huge transformation in my life. That's where I think my faith became more than uh or changed from being things that I do so that I will be loved and approved by God to all oh, someone that I am cherished by and can feel accepted no matter what and can, can turn to even as hard and scary when things happen. And just thinking of even going back to my father walking across the bridge and down through Manhattan to pick me up, like my heavenly father would do anything to come after mm. me. And so, mm. yeah, my dad's just been such a great example to me of God's love mm -hmm. for me and his pursuing me and uh, never wanting to stop. And so, yeah, I just love in college. I just started to get to know God better, diving into the scriptures more, really starting to apply and think, how does this actually look? So it seems like all of these things boil down to two things. I have to love God well and have to love people well. And so I just kept with that. How do I do that? What does that look like? And so, yeah, got involved with crew. That's a whole nother like kind of crazy <laughs> crew is very different at my school. <laughs> very different. Mm -hmm. um, started out with just two, three people. And then these two popular kids on campus came back saved and wanting to start a Bible study. And they, in their first time, had like 45 people at their Bible study. Oh, my gosh. It was like. Are you kidding me? Wow. <laughs> I'm trying so hard. <laughs> uh, but I was like, okay, well, do you want to merge? Like, I'll, I would love to, like, support you guys. And, and so it was interesting. At first, uh, they didn't want to. So it was two African-American men, both really good friends of mine. And one, I was interested in dating. So that was complicated, <laughs> right? 
I was like, that's awkward. And then it was me and crew, which at the time, you know, Campus Crusade for Christ, everyone on staff in Jersey was white. Mm. And so to my friends, it was like, no, we're not going to have this white organization come in and take credit for what we've been working to do Mm -hmm. and things like that. And so there was young uh, immaturity on their part in regard to thinking that they can take response, you know, taking ownership for this group. Like yeah. they did it, you know, obviously it was the Lord. Because Tabitha, um, were your but there was, friends, were your friends mostly Puerto Rican or people of color like you? And so everyone, yeah, everyone in at Kane, uh, growing up, everyone in my life was, yeah, a person of color there. I had one white friend growing up and I remember meeting her in a Christian camp and she thought, oh yeah, you're the same as like uh, Will Smith, right? And I was like, what? No, what? Oh, like gosh. you've never what? No, I'd love oh, dear. no, no, no. no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I had when I got to college. That's where I interacted with more white people than ever. Uh, just on the campus was very diverse. Um, but yeah, started to get to know people that I just I didn't know things like what's a casserole. I didn't know what that was. <laughs> casserole. And I, and I was like, I love it. 19. I started learning these things. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay. All right. Coffee is very important to you oh, guys. Yes. Okay. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Coca Cola, you get to drink soda, not juice. Like, just different cultural things, that, at least within the Jersey team. Um, that's kind of where I gathered my information from when I, in my initial research, <laughs> I guess. But yeah, I learned a lot there. And most of my friends, all of the people involved in that crew movement at the time were black, except for me and one white couple. And so they felt like if crew got involved, it wouldn't be like what it is. And it would be like taken over or, you know, we don't want to go under the man sure. kind of thing. Um, and so as I continued to engage with them and the staff came and they saw the staff were like, cool, I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. You really can do your thing. We just want to supply and support and let you do your thing. And they're like, really? Okay. Cause they couldn't, they couldn't book rooms. They couldn't put up flyers, anything. Mm-hmm. And we're like, we could help you with those things. We can, we can do that for you. Mm-hmm. And so that movement quickly grew to about a hundred students involved at a university that had about 12,000 students. And I was like, this is pretty cool. Like, this is not the three people that were meeting for Bible study for a while, you know. And so that was really exciting. Um, And God used those men to do really cool things at the campus and some other men and women who joined along. Um, But I do remember in, in New Jersey, they have something called Jersey Crew. And so Jersey, the ministries in New Jersey are called the Jersey Metro Ministry. There's 30 right now or about probably up to 30 not quite sure. But um, at the time, there were about 22, 23. And they were led by various staff people who each coached multiple movements that students led. So the staff like Jen would call me on a regular basis. Don't forget to do these things. How have you been doing with these things? That kind of thing. And just caring for me. How are you doing with the Lord? Spiritual stuff. Walking with Jesus things. And, um, and then the practical strategic stuff as well. And so I thought, yeah, we should all go to Jersey Crew. That's where all the different crews in the states come in the state of New Jersey come together 
and we have one big crew, but the staff put it on. So we as student leaders get to rest. Like we don't have to think about MC or right. the speaking or anything, right? And at Kane, we didn't usually have worship uh, just to make it more accessible to people who are not Christian because that's kind of like awkward for them to come in and sing to someone they don't know. So we didn't have worship <laughs> like at, at ours, but they had worship at that one. And so it would, it would just fill us, you know, refill us. And it'd be great. It's a monthly thing. So I brought these students from Kane all black but me, to a crew. And uh, that was our first time collectively experiencing Chris Tomlin guitars in more white people than we've ever seen in one room in our life. So were you the most uh, ethnically diverse group that came to that meeting? Did it feel like all the other groups coming in were very white? Yes, yes, we were. Yes, we were the only. There was one student from Ramapo who uh, had said that they had more people who were like ethnic minorities who they'd love to bring in. And there was one African-American woman at Rutgers and one Salvadoran woman at Rutgers who Jen also discipled and was like, oh, I'd love you to meet my friends. And so she introduced me to them. And I was like, wow, we, we really are the only ones here, huh? Like we made a joke with each other. They're like, yeah, we are. And I was like, oh, okay. And so it was, it was very different. It was very uncomfortable. It was um, very hard to interact with people who we felt like were kind of avoiding eye contact and so yeah, it was just it was awkward on the train ride back because none of us at the school had cars, so we took trains um, to and from this this event. It was in Hoboken, and on the train ride back, the students just ripped into me. How dare you bring us there? It was so uncomfortable. You have no idea, you know. For you, it just it feels okay because you're light skinned You can just kind of blend in, but for us, like we just felt so different and like. We don't know any of the music. I was like, I didn't know any of the music. I grew up going to a Caribbean church. Like, I, I didn't know any of that music. Um, and I definitely moved a lot more than they did, like, in my church. So I, I didn't know how to act either. And it was all weird for me, too. But uh, if we go away and then other people of color come, how will they feel when they come? They'll probably feel alone, too. Tabitha, how did you, what in you or in your upbringing or something gave you that perspective that was so different from your friends? Yeah. Well, I I kept thinking, um, I think a few things. One, my family being Puerto Rican, Puerto Ricans are uh, tri-ethnic. And so we're Spaniard in origin. We're Spaniard, Taino Indian, um, which is the native people of the land of Borinquen, which is now called Puerto Rico, and African, Western African. And so with the three of those, I always knew that I wasn't just a light-skinned person of color. Like, I am three ethnicities and should own all three of those. Um, While one was the slave bearer and one was the native person whose land was stolen and one was the African slave who was taken from their land, the product is... Puerto Rican, me. And so I was very aware of my history. That was true in our family growing up. Even um, some of my family was racist and was like, no, we're Spaniard, really. And I'm like, "Ah, but you're not. And then there's others who were like, most of my aunts married black men, like not most of them, but several of my aunts married black men. Um, A lot of black people were, it was like in and intertwined in my life. I had Puerto Rican, Dominican or black friends growing up. That was, that was New York. That was the Bronx. Like, and so I just didn't understand why we couldn't like 
all right, well, now white people are here, but we could still kind of mesh together. And I knew my history. I think history in New York City is a little bit more raw and real than uh, than from what I've learned about other states um, and other cities. But like we would sing the Black National Anthem at our school celebrations, like our assemblies. We had the Puerto Rican National Anthem, Black National Anthem, and the American National Anthem. So like culture was always represented and our cultures were always uh, noticed and recognized and acknowledged. And yeah, nothing ever said like negative, just at least in my upbringing, that's just how it was. So yeah, the idea if we're supposed to love God, love people, and these are the people who are bringing the gospel here and are helping the gospel go forward. That's really our, our main priority is our, you know, we're citizens of heaven. And so that's what it's about, like, right? So if we're Christians, we're to love God, love people. So I should be loving God, loving people. And the people who are here to help me do that happen to be white people. That's just who they happen to be. I'm sure there are people out there who love Jesus who are also people of color, but we haven't found them yet. So until we continue to find them, like we should just be here in fellowship with the people God has put in our in our neighborhood, in our society, right? So in that space in my life, it was college. It was college students at Kane. It was college students in New Jersey. And so if most of them are white, okay, this is just, we just have to sing this kind of music for now. But if we stay and we're here and we're uncomfortable, then they start getting uncomfortable. And then we start to kind of encourage each other to learn about each other. And maybe, maybe at some point the staff would be willing to change some of the music and maybe we can give them some CDs. And back then Israel Houghton had just come alive and in the music world. And so we started giving some of that music to the band and they're like, sure, we'll play this. And we're like, really? <laughs> and they did a great job. And mm. so then other schools with other people from different ethnic backgrounds started coming and it slowly but surely people just started to feel like they probably were okay there because they could simply see other people who look like them who were there. So it's like, oh, this is a place I could probably come and be me because there are other people who are here and they're themselves. And so that's cool. And after that, a couple of scholarships to random fall retreats and winter conference, good and bad winter conferences and things that were hard and things that were great. Uh, it just, it boiled down to, we're getting scriptures, like we're getting fed through the word here and uh, we are getting fellowship. And those are way huge priorities. Um, and we will still interact on our own, in our own cultures, in our own spaces on campus, maybe when we're not with the whole big Jersey crew, um, but just us alone, like that, that can still happen. And we would connect, we do campus crossovers. So like our school would go to another crew movement at another school and uh, things like that. And I think that helped where people who were visitors are like, oh wait, there are other people like me. Oh, oh, okay, I can, I can go here. And that was a huge, um, yeah, God just did something really cool. I, I don't know. I think it, it could be just my upbringing, New York, um, my family, my ethnicity, and just it's all things that God gave me, <laughs> like all things God just did. He just kind of worked into my life, and I just am the one who experienced them. So, yeah. Thanks for joining us today on Listener. Join us next time for part two of Love God, Love People featuring Tabitha Morales, when Tabitha and I will discuss why certain people groups are able to reach the world in a unique way, how cities matter to God, how Jesus Christ himself crossed cultures, and Tabitha's new role on the Oneness and Diversity team. 
see you next time.